Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Good morning. So, we've been waiting for this moment, I'm sure you have too. Um, Our journey to Israel and Egypt, or Egypt and Israel, because it was in that order, was called the Exodus journey, based on the fact that we would follow the route of the Israelites out of Egypt and into Israel. Little did we know the significance of that name. (laughs) The Exodus journey would be the Exodus for us out of Israel. Um, My wife pointed this out. She said, how ironic that on the front of the cover that they gave us, it says that there are no two journeys exactly the same. Well, (laughs) they came true on that one for us. We got our money's worth. So I would like to invite Ophelia Jackson and uh, Anne up. Uh, Ophelia and Anne and myself were the only three from our church, but we joined 23 other people, mostly from our sister church in Langley in Murrayville called Southridge, and then a couple from Mission, a couple from Maple Ridge, and and a few other places like that. And I I just wanted to give an opportunity uh, on behalf of us hmm, to thank you (laughs) for praying. Who wants to go first, seeing as I've already choked up? Okay, Ophelia. God Here, is... step to the side just a little bit. This is tall, yeah. and you're not. It's okay. All I can say is God is so good. Amazing God we have. And we feel your prayers. And thank you very, very much for all the prayers yeah. and support. Our loved ones, Keith, our families. And everybody's praying for us. We really appreciate it and very, very grateful. We are here. And one thing that held me up on this uh, journey was Jeremiah 29, 11, that my plan of the Lord is not to give us pain or anything, but to give us hope and a future. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Trust him. And one thing that um, very vivid that I need to mention is when we were aboarded the ship in Sea of Galilee. And this gentleman um, led us with praise and worship. And that was so amazing because the sea was calm. It was very still. And he said for us to uh, come as you are at the background of the music to communicate with God and meditate. And we did that. And the sun was shining on us. And it was so beautiful. It was still and calm. And that's what it is. The Lord said, be still and know I am God. For sure, he is our God, and he did it for us, and I was so thankful. And I just read uh, Psalms 48:14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And I saw his hands holding us up there with all our hands praying to him. And just a wonderful, wonderful feeling of overwhelming peace. Mm, thank and you. thank you very much. 
Yeah, I almost just want to say ditto and leave it at that. That's it. Um, but yeah, I was just going to retrace a tiny bit of our steps. This trip was originally supposed to be in 2021, I think. And then, of course, it was COVID. And then it was going to be in 2022, but Brent, um, the Southridge pastor, got cancer. So we couldn't go then. And then it was going to be in the spring of 2023, but then they said, mm, that's not a safe time to go because... <laughs> There's a tw- uh, 75th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation Yeah, in the spring. So, so then here we are going in the fall. And um, two weeks before we left, all of a sudden, uh, Egypt started requiring Canadians to have to have a visa to enter Egypt. So we had to send our passports away. And we were all like, well, who knows if we'll get them back in time. But we did. We're like, hooray, we can go. And um, anyway, so, so when the, the October 7th, when the bombs started falling... Um, to me, I just felt like, okay, you know, like we had a chance to not be here, but God let us all get those visas back in time. And so he knows we're here. And so it, it, to me, it was a sense of like, you are where you're supposed to be. It was even affirmed, you know, you even had an extra chance not to be here and you're still here. So to me, that was a bit of a comfort. And just like Ophelia said, I think everybody on the trip we stayed at a kibbutz on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. We went there the day after the war broke out. And we were like at Main Beach, a cultus. That's how close we were to the lake. And we went out on the lake. And of course, we had no idea. But our guide said to us, usually there's tons of boats out here, but you're the only one today. And I was like, oh, wow, is that a good thing? And um, one thing Ophelia didn't mention that I just always noticed was there's fighter jets constantly flying over. It's kind of like the Abbotsford Air Show. So, you know, you're sitting on the boat, and like she said, it was a worship boat, and they started playing the praise music, and it was super moving for all of us because we were right where Jesus was, the same lake that he, he told the wind and the waves to stop blowing and be still. And uh, so it was super powerful just remembering that the same God who did that is the same God that was in charge of the situation. Mm-hmm. Somebody sent me the verse in, in Psalm 121 that says, God watches over Israel, or something like this. The God who watches over, over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. I'm telling you, it felt like he was having a good snooze there. Um, specifically for the people that were suffering, not so much for us. And, but, you know, you're just aware that so close to you, something horrible is happening. And, uh, you know, that was... Anyway, and the other thing is, everywhere we went, I kept seeing incense um, burning. And that just reminded me so much of the verses in the Bible that talk about um, the prayers of God's people being like incense. There's a couple of verses. One says... The angels held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Another one says, the smoke of incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people. Anyway, this just reminded me of how many people were praying for us. We got so many texts and messages that just reminded us that we had a church family at home that was lifting us up in prayer. And I mean, people repeatedly would text throughout the day, and it just meant everything to know that we were being held by our church family before the throne of God. And finally, I just really feel like saying, um, after being in Israel, knowing we bear the name of Jesus, 
talking to only two other Christian Jews the entire time we were there, at least me, and thinking, this is a nation filled with people walking where Jesus walked, and they do not acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. And that was one prayer request our guide in the Sea of Galilee had, was just pray for my people that they will know Jesus. And uh, anyway, I was thinking about that verse, and I should have looked it up, but it's in Philippians. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, that's all of them, and that's all of us, and, and I'm just thrilled to death that we already can say that. So thank you, guys. Yes. Thank you. We became really good friends with Ophelia Jackson on this trip. She is a woman of great faith and prayer. Um, A number of you texted, a number of you emailed, and I know that a number of you also chose not to when you wanted to, but you felt like, well, we know you're already inundated and we don't want to kind of bother you. I just want to say the overwhelming message was we knew we were being prayed for and cared for and thank you. So from our hearts to yours, thank you. Now, I want to share about this journey. Um, That photo in front of you kind of looks like it could be a green screen and you're in Disneyland with a few friends getting a picture. But that's actually Giza, okay? We were in Egypt. We started our trip in Egypt. And I just want to throw this map up there. I know some people don't like maps. Some people like it. This is a terrible map for you to try to see. But at least it'll position you where in the world we were. The Mediterranean Sea, you can see that. To the south, Egypt. Right in the uh, south Uh, east corner of the Mediterranean Sea, you'll see the word Israel, beside that Jordan and above that Lebanon. So this is the area of the world where we were. We started in Egypt, made our way into Israel, then made our way into Jordan, and then flew home from Jordan. Um, We were a team, I said, of uh, 26, and uh, it was a great team. I want to say that the mutual respect, love, um, and joy that was on the, uh, probably one of my favorite teams I've ever been on. And what a great team to be in when you're kind of going through a crisis. Now, I want to show you some of the sites uh, that we saw. I know you already saw the one of me holding up that pyramid, a strong man. Um, this, of course, is in Egypt. Uh, we got to also see the famous uh, Sphinx, um, along with other discoveries in the Valley of the Kings. We weren't in the Valley of Kings, but they've taken some of those articles and brought them to both Cairo Museum and different sites. Uh, this is the tomb of King Tut. Um, it was interesting because uh, his name is King Khufu, but because of the accent that our tour guide had, my wife thought it was King Fufu, but it's, it's not. Uh, this was in Cairo Museum where we got to read up a little bit more and understand the amazingness of this discovery. Uh, this was the smallest tomb, by the way, that they discovered. It's just that it had so many of the artifacts that were still in it. Uh, we saw the oldest one. We saw the biggest one. Each one of the pyramids that we saw uh, has a different kind of story behind it, and they were phenomenal, no doubt about it. We got to float on the Nile River on what they call a fuchsia boat, which just means a sailboat, which was a bust because there was no wind, so we kind of pushed out and we sat in the middle of the Nile amongst skyrides, buildings, and it didn't feel kind of like what you would picture the Nile to be, at least in the city of Cairo, Uh, but it was still fun. We even got to ride in a chariot. No, just kidding. (laughs) It's stationary. We're not moving. But the thing that I took away from Egypt that was actually, aside from the amazing marvels of the world, was just poverty. We saw it everywhere. And uh, Cairo is a very large city with 10 million people. Egypt has a population of 105 million. And they do not have an economy to be able to sustain that. 
And if you've been anywhere in the world where there's poverty, you will have experienced what we experienced. Um, it's dirty and it's run down and it's hard to see how the people who live in this era in the life of Egypt can celebrate what once was a great civilization. Uh, and yet we come there to look at that civilization and marvel at it. Uh, and hundreds of years ago, there was a movement by uh, a Christian monk who um, started to take the garbage in the city and, and dispose of it, but what they could recycle, they would recycle and put back into use. Like, this is in the 800s. So for a long time now, they've been doing that. And we went to what's called Garbage City, where the church still stands today of St. Simon. This would be a Coptic Catholic church, not Catholic, my bad, Coptic Eastern uh, Orthodox Church, okay? This is the original church of Christ in Egypt. And uh, as the story goes, these people gained a reputation for this kind of act of kindness. And so we got to visit uh, this site. The man with the little green flag, by the way, he's our tour guide. His name is Magid, M-A-G-E-D. It was terrible because everyone thought it was Maggot, but it's not. It was Maggot. And, and he would uh, hold up his little flag just to keep us all together because there's, you know, crowds of people at certain places. And he was our tour guide. But he was a Coptic Christian. And so he was sharing from his perspective about the various sites. And we're in the cave on this site, kind of looking up and out of the cave. Um, and there's a picture of myself and Anna and Ophelia. Uh, but this particular site was one of what he would call the holy sites. And he used this term a lot because wherever a site was where there was a saint or the holy family, as you remember, Jesus with his parents, when King Herod was trying to kill Jesus, they fled Israel and went down into Egypt. And so they have the sites that they believe to be the places that Jesus visited. And as a Coptic Christian, he was very proud of this. And he often spoke about this holy site, this blessed site. It was blessed by Jesus. It was blessed by the Holy Family. And it was the holiest of holy sites if it was one where they stayed a long period of time. So I'm going to come back to that language in a moment because for me, I was pondering this man's faith through maybe a slightly different lens uh, than my own faith, even though we share the essence of Christ. Our journey took us from Cairo. Uh, that's just some of the depiction of the Holy Family coming down into um, Egypt. Uh, that church on, um, on your left, well, whatever that is, my left, your right, uh, is the site where they believe that Christ and the family were hidden in a cave uh, down underground in what's called a crypt. So we left Cairo, and again, I'll give you a little photo. You can see the word Cairo there. And you can see the tip of the Red Sea where it says the Gulf of Suez. And we went through a canal under the Gulf of Suez, not far from where they believed the nation of Israel would have crossed over into the Sinai Peninsula. And remember now, this is the Exodus journey, and so we're trying the best we can to follow where the nation of Israel would have traveled. And so we kind of crossed under. It was pretty cool to go under the Suez Canal, come out the other side, and be on the other side of the Red Sea. And then we drove down the inside of that Sinai Peninsula to come to where uh, Mount Sinai is, uh, the burning bush experience of Moses and St. Catherine's Monastery at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and then to be able to make our way to the top of Mount Sinai. Now, we got to ride up Mount Sinai on a camel, which was quite an experience. Harvey, did you ride up on a camel? Okay, it was about a couple hour ride up. So yeah, it, it's a bit much because it's not the most comfortable saddle you're sitting in. And they don't size you up, you know, big saddle, big guy, uh-uh. Uh, we had one poor guy, he was a big guy in a small saddle. That wasn't fun. And, uh, 
but I will say it was quite an experience. Now, as I was um, kind of processing um, my thoughts over the entire trip, part of my favorite spot was Sinai. And I was thinking, well, why? Was it just because it was a cool camel ride? Well, no. It's, it's because you're looking around at these sites where, where Moses was, and you're realizing Moses went up a hill to meet with God. God called him up there. And you're kind of picturing what this would have looked like for a man who's 80, by the way. Going up there, he sees the burning bush at the bottom. God calls him up and all that kind of stuff, right? And it's all kind of in this, this area, in this location. And so I found myself identifying with what it would have been like for Moses to, uh, to be a part of the burning bush experience and experience the presence of God and then be called to lead a nation when he didn't want to which was about soon to be my experience to be on a team that was trapped in Israel where it's like, I don't want to be a leader either. Someone else lead. But the words of our guide kept coming back to me because again, you know, this is the actual bush. And it's like, I highly doubt it. But nonetheless, you know, they've got these sites and if you can touch it or kiss it, and I'm, I'm processing this. Like, what is our faith? And what is worship? And what is this all supposed to look like. I found myself evaluating my own faith in those moments. What does it mean that something is a holy place? What does holiness mean? Like I'm thinking all these thoughts and not to get too deep on all this because um, I might lose you in here, but just to simply say that I think that there was a teachable moment for me as I'm assessing my faith and as I'm thinking about Moses and God calls Moses from the bush as Moses is checking it out because he's been out in this Sinai does it for quite some time. He's seen other burning bushes, but usually they're consumed. But this one, the bush is on fire, but it's not being burnt up, right? And so it says that he goes closer to look at it, and then God speaks to him from the bush. And this is what he says to him. When the Lord saw that Moses uh, had gone over to look at the bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And I think the thing that was coming to me there is that it's the presence of the Lord that makes something holy. It's God himself who is holy. And for us as believers and understanding the full picture, we understand the tabernacle and the temple. We went to see a site of the tabernacle. Unfortunately, we did not get to Jerusalem. It wasn't safe. But in the tabernacle, you realize the people of God were outside. Only the priests could come inside and they could go into the holy place, but they couldn't go into the holy of holies. Only one priest once a year for a, a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of, on behalf of the people. And, and at the very first uh, spot as you come into that tabernacle was a sacrifice that had to be made and then the washing of the hands for purification and then the ability to enter into the presence of God. And we know that at the death of Christ, the temple curtain was torn top to bottom, signifying that through Jesus Christ, our high priest, we have been purified. The sacrifice has been made. We have been purified, and we can come into the presence of God. And wherever you go, whether at home or in a church or in Israel or anywhere around the world, wherever you go and you have the mind of Christ that he is present in this world and you're willing to step into his presence, you're willing to see his presence in your world, you are in a holy place. You don't have to touch something. You have to worship Jesus. He is the object of our faith. And I think the woman at the well, when Jesus met her there, I'm not going to do the whole story at all. I'm just doing this one little part. In the encounter with the woman at the well, and I know not everyone's familiar with it, but you can read it, John 4, 
Jesus uh, said to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, which is Gerizim, at that place where he was with the woman at, meeting her at the well, Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, which is where the temple was located. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, which just simply means that they are not cognizant of the fact that the Messiah would come through, Jerusalem, uh, through the Jews. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes through the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come because the presence of Christ was there. He was about to go to the cross when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit or in Spirit, depending on your translation, and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshipers must worship him in Spirit, in the Spirit and in truth. And so I found myself wrestling with my own faith between what is holy and what is worship and what is my faith and how does this all work. By the way, you heard a great message on that last Sunday with Pastor Dave as he was speaking about, you know, the Pharisees and their heart and they would do all the checklists of the rules, but their hearts were far from God, right? God doesn't want lip service. He wants you to start with the heart. That's the spirit part. If it's not truly engaged in our heart, if it's not a reality within us, then there's not going to be the spirit part. It's not based on Jesus Christ, the resurrected son of God. That's the truth part. And somehow these two are woven together to be the kinds of worshipers that the Father seeks. And so I was wrestling with this in my own faith. There is a quote from Jonathan Edwards who on this particular um, passage of scripture said, the truth of God being of infinite value is worthy of infinite passion. Do you know that sometimes I think I just want to err on the truth of God and I don't let the infinite passion part come out? I have a hard time maybe in song expressing it, but I want my heart to be engaged that says the spirit side of this equation of worshiping God, the engagement of our heart is as important as the truth side of it. They must be held together in tension. And so don't just err on one side or the other. Bring these two together because the Father seeks people who worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm just touching this subject. It can go way deeper. Um, but I found myself assessing my faith, asking God, am I worshiping you truly in truth and in spirit? And um, letting him kind of challenge me with that. And so I thought I would bring you that challenge. Now, now back to our trip. I want to take you through this. And I'm getting to the crisis moment. But at this point, I'm just going chronologically. We've been to Mount Sinai. We've been up on that hill. We took a photo up there. It was a good moment. I don't know what's going on in the background. That only came out afterwards. I think there were some lights on the other side, uh, like in a little town below, that really seemed like God himself was there. Uh, but at night, it was pitch black. On our way down, we found this camel, so we took a shot. We were coming down watching the sunrise. Uh, so it was pretty cool to come down Mount Sinai and experiencing that sunrise. So where do we go from here? So where we just were was in the bottom of the V, where it says El Tor, not far from there. And then now we're heading up into Israel, so we headed up on the inside of what's called the Gulf of Aqaba. Not that I expect you to know that. I didn't. Others might. Um, on the east side of Saudi Arabia, we're still in Egypt, but we're kind of heading north up on that inside edge of that uh, top of the Sea of Galilee in the Gulf of Aqaba, and you come to uh, Elat, which is the first Israeli city inside that little bottom corner of Israel. And we crossed, we had to say goodbye to our, our tour guide, who we love dearly. He was a very reverent and sincere man, 
uh, Magid. We really enjoyed him. And then we crossed the border into Israel. We got a new bus. We got a new tour guide. And we headed north through that desert, following still the steps of the nation of Israel, coming to the Dead Sea which is a pretty cool location. I'm showing you all these pictures for when the next time we do one of these trips, you'll want to come, right? That <laughs> might be a while. We stayed at a lovely resort there. It was, it was beautiful. So our, our first day in Israel, we're, we're feeling great. We've had a wonderful time in Egypt. We're now in Israel. We feel safe. There's no problems. And then uh, the next day, we're supposed to go up to Masada, which we did. It's this incredible fortress. It's a natural plateau. And then King Herod, years before, you know, had built this beautiful palace there. And, and if you're familiar with the story of Masada, when the Romans come into Jerusalem and they sack it and they burn the temple, a group of zealots flee about a thousand and they go and they hide out in Masada which was this old palace of Herod and they felt like they were safe there but the Romans took two years to build this ramp they filled in a valley with dirt so they could get their their uh, ramparts up there and they bashed in the wall and when they came in the people had taken their own lives rather than to fall into the hands of the Romans and be slaves and out of that came a slogan that Israel is proud of they still say it today it's on their t-shirts Masada will not fall again what was interesting is we were about to see that as a reality at that moment we were up in Masada checking out the cool sites this photo here was taken um, at a synagogue on top of Mount Sada Masada and uh about five minutes later, we heard the boom, boom, boom off in the distance. And at first we're thinking, uh, well, I thought earthquake. <laughs> it's possible. You got tectonic plates there. Um, someone else said thunder, but there's no clouds in the sky. And uh, the second time we heard the boom, 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 the uh, tour guide, Gil, paused and he said, those are bombs. And I've just got notification that we're at war and we need to get off this hill. And it was like, oh, just one of these little skirmishes, right? You know, we hear about this in the news, you know, throw little rockets, and then they go home, right? And everyone's fine. That's kind of what we're thinking at the time, so we go back to our hotel. We were about 90 kilometers, as the crow flies, from where you can see where it says Dead Sea to Gaza Strip on the Mediterranean. If you just took a straight line and went straight across, it was about 90 kilometers away from, from our side to that side of Gaza. Um... And so the next day when we woke up, we thought we were safe in, in the Dead Sea area to stay there, which we were. Uh, we didn't feel really threatened, but you just didn't know. And then we were told, no, you're safer to uh, head north, not through West Bank. You'd have to come around West Bank and go up to the Sea of Galilee. At the very top, you can see the Sea of Galilee. It just doesn't say it. And so that region up there at that time was considered safer. And so we made the decision to move up there and to go stay, as you heard, at one of these kibbutz. Um, if you're not familiar with the term kibbutz, these were the original settlements within Israel. When Israel was becoming a state, the people had come to settle there, and they settled in kibbutz all around the perimeters of the country, but you had a few inland, and ours was inland. Okay, it wasn't on the perimeter like the ones that got taken hostage. But because it's in the same kind of name, you're kind of like, oh. Um, so you felt a little vulnerable. Plus, you're Americans in a big tour bus that says, tour! It's like, we are here! Look! Um, we got to our kibbutz at that hotel, and this is where some was already shared, and I, I don't want to go over it too much, but I will say that uh, we, we were nervous. 
We didn't know what the situation was exactly. Things seemed to be escalating. Uh, we were told by our agency, you're still safe in this area. He wanted to get us, Christian Journeys, wanted to get us out of Israel into Jordan, uh, which would be safer, but he needed a day to plan hotels and a tour guide bus and stuff like that. So we spent a day on the Sea of Galilee in, in that area, Capernaum and stuff like that. And so uh, this was our view out of the kibbutz across the Sea of Galilee. This was the boat that we were on that both Anne and uh, Ophelia referenced where the boat owner is a Messianic Jew, a believer in Christ, and leads worship times on his boat, especially for those groups that he knows are, are evangelical Christians. And so we worshiped together. It was, it was beautiful. We, we had times like that where we were just singing and praising God. Uh, you could look across the lake to Capernaum. Um, and, and the beach where Jesus fed the disciples after the resurrection. He fed them breakfast as we preached here, John 21. Uh, so you're, you're like having this surreal moment, as was already said. It's like, you know, the same lake where Jesus calmed the storm, we were in the middle of a storm of a different kind, and you're looking for the peace of Christ in the middle of the storm, right? Uh, and then we got off the boat, we toured around, and we saw a bit of Galilee. The thing is, like Anne pointed out, we were the only boat on the lake, and there weren't really too many other people on the road. So you're starting to get this sense of maybe it's time to get out of here. And the next morning we did. We crossed, the, uh, crossed into Jordan. Uh, but before we left, I want to say this. These, um, these kibbutzes housed the soldiers. And, and they came in on our final night. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these soldiers. And it's like, these are kids. They're younger than my kids. You know? Um, and there's lots of girls in Israel... Um, if you're the right age, male or female, you fight. And when they called up 300,000 reserves, these groups were heading to the north to protect against Lebanon. At that point, no one knew, is Lebanon going to get involved? Is Iran going to get involved? Is Hezbollah going to get involved? That sort of thing. So they're deploying troops everywhere. We were heading to the north to Galilee. All the tanks and bulldozers on trucks were heading to the south. And you're like, okay, this seems pretty significant. What I'm trying to say through all of this is while we didn't feel like we were directly in the line of harm, you never knew if you were about to be. You just didn't. So there was an anxiousness over all of it that everyone is trying to, you know, mitigate um, your own feelings against. And you're a team of 26. So if you have 26 people, you have 26 different experiences with what's going on and you're trying to keep your group together as a whole. So we traveled safely out of Israel into Jordan and we came to a beautiful spot uh, on the Dead Sea, but on the Jordan side of the Dead Sea, okay? But I want to talk about this man, Gil. Gil was our tour guide. He was 71 years old. Um, fortunate for us, other tours had their guides leave because they were of age to go and fight in the war. Gil is 71. He was a retired um, uh, IDF, Israeli Defense Force. He fought in the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Um, he had a career in business. And uh, he was now our team leader, and he was just the right guy. Uh, he was vigilant. He had inside sources that continued to give him information as to when and where we should travel to be safe. He gave our team a lot of confidence. On top of that, Gil was a straight shooter. I said, if you were in America, if you were born there, you'd be a cowboy. He's John Wayne, just Israeli. Um, Gil is not a believer. He would call himself an agnostic. He refers to God, but it's his being that cannot be known in his mind. 
um, which we believe in the greatness of God that goes beyond our own understanding, but he has chosen to reveal himself. So there's a, different, a difference there. Uh, Gil has a story because he shared it on the last night with us when we were at that kibbutz in Galilee before we headed over to Jordan. One hour or more sharing about his family, starting with his grandparents who were taken into Auschwitz and did not survive. His dad, who was... His dad was a survivor. You hear their stories and you realize these are our people who are used to living in a place where they are hated, where they want to be annihilated and pushed into the sea. I emailed Gil this week to ask him how things are going for him and his family. He lives with his daughter uh, in Tel Aviv um, and uh, they spend a lot of time in the bomb shelter with their two kids. Everyone there has a bomb shelter. This is crazy. We don't understand what it's like, but you're a small place you have enemies all around. There's no place to hide in Israel. He said, Rod, thank you for your kind words. I'm happy that all of you arrived home safely. We are having tense days with some missile attacks while the real war hasn't yet really started. Thank God and our talented engineers that we have the Iron Dome, the anti-missile system, and that most of the rockets are intercepted. Today we drove to the south to comfort a family there. whose son was murdered by the Hamas terrorists. It was quite a hardship. It was a very hard experience to try to comfort this family. As for us, family is okay. Running a shelter at every alarm, running to a shelter at every alarm, but we're holding on. We are trying to keep our, our morale high and to occupy the children. Um, hope these days will soon pass, and with the help of God and our strong spirit, we will overcome and build whatever was destroyed by the evil is how he puts it. We are optimistic, Gil. And he wrote me that on Thursday this last week. Now, this is one person's experience in this situation, and I know he's Israeli, and I know he's referencing from his perspective, and I know there's another story of another person in Gaza. We'll get to that. What I want to say is for us to know an individual who lives there in that kind of experience, it kind of touches close to home because we got to know this guy, and we got to love him, we got to see that these are real people living in real time. Our agent... Brian, with Christian Journeys, was able to get us to Jordan. We crossed over. We went down to the Dead Sea, but on the Jordan side, we're safe. We're out of Israel. We're feeling good about that. He did his best um, to get us out in time, and we found out after we left that, true enough, Hezbollah and Lebanon started to throw rockets into what was called West Galilee. We were in East Galilee, so we were grateful for God to move us at just the right times. Um, he put us up in a beautiful hotel there. This is the Hilton in Jordan. If you ever get there, I recommend it. It was so much fun. We're on the Dead Sea, so we could float. That's enough of my body. No one wants to see that, so moving on. <laughs> That's what I should have done first. This is my cousin, Sean, and this guy just comes up to him, plunks him down on the chair, and starts rubbing mud on him. So for $20, you could get that done too. And then the awkward part is he washes him off afterwards. <laughs> oh, I'll keep my money. The Dead Sea was fun. It was, it was amazing to float on it. And then we got to travel for a day and a bit in Jordan. So we went up to Mount Nebo where God shows Moses the promised land. That's from that vista right there. And that was kind of a neat moment. You know, Moses dies and God buries him. And then we got to go to Petra, which was a really, you know, this was an add-on, okay? Our, our agent was trying to make the best of it for us, get us out of Israel into a safe place, maybe see a few sites that weren't a part of the original. So that was all kind of fun. I'm, I'm grateful that they did their best to get us out. But I have to tell you something. It wasn't easy. We did fly out of Amman. 
everyone did in the end. But because Air Canada had not cancelled our ticket, and I don't want to put too much bad press on them, but it would have been really helpful had they cancelled our tickets much sooner to keep the unity of our team. It wasn't that we were completely disunified, it's that we were being told that our flights were still on out of Tel Aviv and we were now in Jordan. So one option was to save the money of the cost of the tickets and just fly out of Tel Aviv in a couple of days. Um, or you could buy your own ticket and fly out of Amman. And so our, our team was kind of split over this kind of hard decision, hard place to be in. Uh, and we found ourselves there. Um, so my wife and I ended up with uh, 12 of us. Uh, 14 chose the option to go back into Tel Aviv and 12 of us chose the option to buy our own tickets and fly out of Amman. Fortunately, and praise be to God, the next day Israel closed their borders and then Air Canada canceled their tickets. So once the tickets were canceled, then our agent could start uh, getting busy to book people. The bottom line is this. Everyone flew out of Amman safely. Took different routes. Some went through Dubai. Some went through Qatar. Didn't matter. We all got home. Everyone got home within a 24-hour period of each other. Everyone's safe. And so I just want to say that, yeah, praise the Lord, right? Like, it was quite a journey. It was quite a journey. And it could have been divisive, but I would say that there was incredible grace on the team shown one to another. There was a good spirit of understanding. And I think it should always be that way. It was mindful to me that it's so easy to have a critical spirit or to try to trump up your position as the right one over someone else's. But at the end of the day, you're all trusting in God. You're all seeking him for his way and his plan to get you safely home. And he did. So, I love that song. Um, <laughs> being in a situation like this is very hard. And it is hard to lead because you have to think of people other than yourself. You're trying to think of the team. So that was hard. We give glory to God because God was with us. He worked with us independently of decisions that each person was making. And I think there's a lesson in there. God doesn't say, oh, you had one chance, you chose the wrong one. I think he continues to work with us in our decision-making. You know, decision-making in the will of God. You know, pray, seek wisdom, make a decision. How else are you going to do it? And allow God to work his plan out. And the last thing I want to say is the unity in Christ that we experienced on the team was beautiful. So those were three things. Um, I know our time is gone, and so I'll just close with a little bit about how do we pray for Israel and Gaza. I've been thinking about this. I wrote a friend of mine who lived in Palestine who um, knows very well the context he is a professor of theology at Briarcrest. And I wrote him to help me gain some perspective um, as well as my own thoughts. We can for sure always pray for peace. Jesus did. He said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But I believe he would also say, pray for the peace of all people. Pray for the quick and safe release of the Israeli hostages in Gaza. I think if that were to happen, there could be the potential for Israel to back down and stop bombing Gaza. It's not wrong to ask God to help Israel make wise choices and to stop bombing Gaza. You can pray for the fall of Hamas. This is not a regime that should be governing any people. These are wicked men with wicked intent. This is one bad apple rots the whole bunch type of scenario. You have people whose charter is stated that they exist to kill all Jews and to make Israel an Islamic state. These do not, these handful do not represent the people of Gaza. They elected them. It was a bad decision. And now there's war. And with war, maybe someone wins, but I think no one wins. There's just higher casualties. There's more devastation. 
there's more hurt, there's more loss. So yeah, pray for peace, pray for a war to end, pray for it to not escalate. I think those are all prayers that we can pray. Pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Gaza. They're there. And pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Jerusalem and Israel. They're there. We can pray for this war to come to an end. And to close off our service today, I would like to lead us in prayer, but I would ask you to stand with me. Father, boy, we live in a world where there is much turmoil. For us here in Canada, we live with relative peace, and there are times when we're stressed out about one thing or another, whether it's the high cost of living or decisions for a government or whatever it might be, and and then that kind of seems to pale in comparison to the reality of many other people who live on this globe. As Christ followers, as ones who believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross for all people, we pray for all people. We would pray for those in Gaza, for the loss, the great loss that has been there. We do pray for Israel, for the absolute injustice and the atrocities that were committed against them when they did not instigate it. We recognize that there is a deep hurt here It is hard not to retaliate. Lord God, we pray for peace. We pray for Hamas to be overthrown and that a solid, stable, good government could be in place for the people of Gaza. We pray that the name of Jesus Christ could be lifted high amongst those who bear his name and how exceedingly difficult that must be to happen. But we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, that can be a reality for them. And so we pray for that today. I thank you for a church family. I thank you for those who have chosen to say, yeah, this is my home and this is where I belong and this is where I choose to worship. But it goes beyond that. This is a place where the body of Christ cares for one another and prays for one another. They deliver meals and they pray and they care. Help us to realize this is what you died for, that we might be one in Christ. And so help us to do that because it's part of our testimony for anyone in our community that doesn't know Christ. If they see the love of Jesus Christ being witnessed in the body of Christ at Sardis Fellowship. That is a testimony of who you are. So help us to keep that. And we do pray for peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Thank you for being with us here today. I'd like to release you parents to go get your kids. I know it's been a little bit longer. God bless you, and we will see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.